Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. There is a lot of anxiety swirling right now over the new coronavirus, and there's also a lot of misinformation. So joining us today by phone to help set the record straight is Dr. Alexis Elward. She is an infectious disease physician at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Elward, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want to start off with some of the newish news, and that's Missouri has six people who've now tested positive for COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus. And the state has had, at this point, 164 negatives. Should that number reassure us even a little bit or no? Well, I think it's really difficult to interpret. We have not had widespread testing here in Missouri. Um, in contrast to some other states, um, as Illinois, for example, where they have tested 932 people that are negative. They've had over 1,000 tests total. Mm-hmm. Um, and in areas where they saw the first cases, they've been doing more broad-spread testing as well, New York State, Washington State. Um, so in Washington State, they've been able to test over 9,000 people. So I think our Missouri data is difficult to interpret. We've seen more cases um, at this point based on these very limited test results in Greene County than anywhere else. And that surprised me. I guess that's that's the home of Springfield. Do they have better testing there or, or what is going on there? Well, uh, what I'm wondering is whether their local public health is doing extensive uh, contact tracing and really proactively identifying people who have symptoms and who might have traveled Mm -hmm. to one of the areas where uh, there has been more community transmission. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that in our own area, uh, the region around St. Louis, we have been doing the same. Um, We have been testing people with what we call epidemiologic links. And so if you have had uh, contact with somebody who has a confirmed case, of COVID-19, or if you've traveled to one of the areas where there's more widespread transmission, that's really been the criteria for testing. So they may be having more people who are meeting those criteria with symptoms. It's important Mm -hmm. to say with symptoms because the test is insensitive prior to symptom onset. Okay. So you can't just proactively test everybody ahead of time and expect to get the hits where you need to get the hits. You could get a false negative. Mm. And so it would be difficult information to interpret if you test before symptom onset. The big question I find myself wondering today, we all hear such different responses to this from people like our parents versus younger people. There's people that are still wanting to go out and party at the same time there's there's people in complete bunker mode. And I'm wondering as a healthcare provider, talking to other physicians and, and people in your field, how concerned are people in your industry about this right now? Well, it's serious. Um, The reason that we want to practice social distancing is because we do want to spread the slow of this, slow the spread of this virus. Um, In areas where uh, people have not been able to practice social distancing, they have had um, many people fall ill, and that has really strained the capacity of the healthcare system. So that's what we're most concerned about right now, and that is really the reason to practice this social distancing. We do have populations that are very vulnerable and that are more at risk. So we think about our population of people who are over age 60 years. We also think about our people with weakened immune systems, um, and those are the people that we really, really want to protect. So I know that that's you know, maybe something that people are struggling a little bit with, knowing that younger people don't tend to get as sick from this Mm -hmm. in general, although there are exceptions to that. 
Um, but really they can be very effective transmitters of the disease. And so we have a chance here to be really, really proactive and to try to slow this down. Has there been a lot of discussion among your colleagues about how we could learn from, say, places like Italy that, that haven't done a good job of keeping things under control? There, we have discussed that, and I think it's, it's you know, it's hard to know um, uh, a lot of the information that's coming out of, of Italy. We don't, uh, not able to talk to their healthcare workers necessarily directly, but we do have um, good contact with people in our own country. So talking to people who are in Seattle and New York, um, there's been a lot of good collaboration and sharing of knowledge um, across the countries. There are groups that are getting together, that are having webinars, that are having phone calls um, to really share the best practices about how to handle a sudden surge um, in cases in the healthcare facilities. We're talking right now to Dr. Alexis Elward. She's an infectious disease physician at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And if you have a question for her about the coronavirus, we want to encourage you to join our conversation. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can also send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So Dr. Elwar, one of the biggest concerns I've been hearing from people has been testing. If someone has these symptoms, say they have the fever over 100 degrees and and they're feeling the respiratory problems, but they haven't traveled overseas. At this point, are you able to test them in Missouri? Or the way the rules work, we're still holding it out for people who've been to these problem spots. Well, we are still trying to be pretty careful about who we're testing right now. Um, as I think most people are aware, there have been some areas um, around the, the region where drive-through testing has been made available. Um, with those, there's still a recommendation that you call ahead to make sure that you truly have symptoms. Um, I do think that people are starting to relax the criteria a little bit um, when they're testing. Um, but we're still kind of going on the guiding principle of where is their community transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, we always think about the pretest probability when we're testing people because we still do have a limited number of tests to be able to send. Um, the swabs that we use to obtain the test are something that we want to protect and preserve in terms of the supply. Um, so we're not doing broad spread testing right now. It's not like the test for the flu, mm-hmm. which is still much, much more prevalent in our community. If somebody comes in with respiratory symptoms, fever, body aches, we're going to be testing them for the flu. So this test is not as widely available as, say, our typical respiratory panels for our usual respiratory viruses that are circulating. You mentioned relaxing the criteria that that is happening a little bit, um, even though obviously not as much as the flu. Is that up to individual hospitals to decide, or is the state still making the overall call here in Missouri? Well, we're still working very closely with our health department um, when we're uh, sending the test through them, but we have had more access um, to other labs and have been able to order the test independently as well. So you don't have to wait for the state to say yes if you feel like it follows the right protocol and you want to do that test, uh, the hospital could do it. Yes, that's correct. And at this point, when we're trying not to strain that system of testing or to use up too many, is getting tests the main issue or it's the ability of labs to actually process them once they come in? It's really both um, because uh, the different, uh, the assays are different and some of the ones that we have 
the, the most ability to order are also very time-consuming, very laborious to process. So that's another consideration um, when, when we're doing these is the capability, the capacity of the lab to process the specimens. Okay. Well, that is all very interesting to know. And I am not surprised to see here our phone lines are absolutely blowing up. So we're going to go to some callers and, and see what they're concerned about and, and see if you have answers for them. If not, it's it's fine. It's still better than nothing. Um, <laughs> so let's see what we can do to, to help people out here. Um, Nick is calling from Wentzville. Um, Nick, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hey, how are you all? Thank you for um, joining us. I, oh, it's great. You have a great show. Hi, Professor. Uh, really quick question. Uh, do you have any updated data on the, in terms of the mortality rate that is a different subset of data from outside the Chinese Center for Disease Control? And any update in terms of the average incubation period, uh, incubation period, et cetera, et cetera? So listen off the air. Those are both great questions. Uh, thank you so much for that, Nick. Um, Dr. Elward, any thoughts on, on either of those? Yes. Um, so the incubation period can be anywhere from two days to 14 days. Um, 14 is the absolute uh, outside limit. Um, what we are learning is that most people do develop symptoms between four and six days after exposure, um, but 14 is the outside bound, and that's why you hear about people being placed into quarantine um, for that amount of time. So there's there's uh, no concerns on your um, in what you're hearing that this could be something more like 30 days. I know there were some rumors online. To to that effect? No. Um, the, the virus can be shed in stool, though, for quite a bit of time um, after people recover from the acute illness. And, and that's not unlike some other respiratory viruses um, where it can be uh, shed in the GI tract. Um, so that can happen for up to three to four weeks after the acute illness. So I wonder if maybe that's where some of the confusion has come in. Okay. So people may want to be careful if they're in a job where they're handling stool. Um, but for the average person, 14 days should be the outside limit. That's correct. He also, Nick also had mentioned uh, the mortality rate, um, I believe, of this disease. What's the latest that we're thinking on that? Yes. Well, um, the, the numbers are changing really, really rapidly. Um, but so far, what is reported officially through the CDC website is that we've had 41 deaths and 1,629 cases. That's, that's an overall mortality rate of 2.5%. Um, and overall, that is what we have been seeing consistently, that the mortality is somewhere between 2 and 3% overall. And that's an important reference point. Um, that is a much greater mortality than something like influenza, which every year causes a mortality rate of about 0.1%. Mm. So it's much, much um, higher than influenza. But to put it in reference, it's also much lower than something like SARS, which was a related coronavirus that caused uh, outbreaks in late 2002 and 2003. So the mortality associated with that was 10%. Another coronavirus, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, syndrome caused uh, a mortality rate of 30%, um, and that uh, occurred back in 2012. So to put it in reference within coronavirus, um, this carries a lower fatality rate than either SARS or MERS, but it is much higher than influenza. And if you think about that over a population, a large population like the population of the United States, that's a lot of people, and mm -hmm. that's a lot of people who would be very, very sick. And so that's very important to keep in mind that this is nothing to, to schluff off here. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Julie is calling from St. Louis. Um, Julie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Yes, I was wondering, once symptoms occur, how long does the disease last? 
That's another great question. Uh, Dr. Elward, what, what do we know about that? Yes. So what we're uh, seeing reported in the literature is that people can be sick for about 12 days. Um, it is important to remember that in about 80% of people who get this, it is going to be mild symptomatology, and so they're going to be sick and, and they're going to be at home. Um, most people who get this are not going to need medical treatment. Hmm. So you're saying 12 days. So if you think you've become infected with this virus, you're recovering at home in self-quarantine. Um, after you get to that 14-day point, are you allowed to just go back amongst the rest of the community? Or what's the recommendation on that? Well, there's a couple different layers to it. So if you are somebody who's been exposed to uh, a person who has a confirmed case of the COVID-19, um, you'll be working with your local health department. Um, and the quarantine at that point is generally 14 days. Mm -hmm. um, and usually we think about 14 days from last contact when people had symptoms. Um, so we're still learning about the duration of being infectious. I mentioned that it could be shed in the stool for a few weeks after acute illness. Mm -hmm. um, so in the hospital, um, the CDC have, has developed criteria for taking people off of isolation after the fever goes down, the symptoms get better, and they have two negative tests 24 hours apart. Um, now, this is a rapidly unfolding situation, so sure. we're continuing to learn about it, and we're continuing to watch that, that guidance, those recommendations could uh, potentially change. We also had a question that came in via Facebook from Kathy that kind of follows up on this. She says, if you have been exposed to this, does it mean your system is developing immunity like it would with other pathogens? You know, I think that is a really big unknown. I mm. think that we really don't know what the duration of long-term immunity is with this virus. There are some viruses that we don't develop long-term immunity to, and we do get them every year. There are viruses that cause illness in, in little kids, respiratory syncytial virus, that we don't develop long-term immunity to. As adults, they're just a cough and a runny nose. They're just a nuisance uh, to little kids. They can make them very, very sick. So I think it's just too soon to tell about long-term immunity with this one. Okay. We're talking to Dr. Alexis Elward. She is an infectious disease physician at St. Louis Children's Hospital. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. Judy is calling from St. Louis. Um, Judy, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi. I have two questions, if I can. One is that my husband goes to an adult day center, and they are still open this week. And, I, and they're cleaning, and they're doing all the precautions. I guess I would like some feedback as to whether I should continue to send him. He goes twice a week. And the other question is about watching grandchildren um, during this time when, you know, the, the, our children need help. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Judy, those are two great questions. Um, Dr. Elward, thoughts on those two areas? Mm -hmm. Well, in general, if you're over age 60 years, um, you do want to follow the CDC recommendations and think very, very carefully um, about uh, where you're going. Really avoid traveling. Really avoid getting together with big groups of people. Um, so that is the general guidance. And that's really because people over the age of 60 do um, have uh, higher likelihood of getting sick, um, and they do have a higher chance of needing the intensive care unit and a, a higher rate of mortality associated with that. So um, you want to be really, really careful about going out into group situations. Um, I know the health department is really working with uh, different groups um, to carefully consider um, situations where care is being provided. Um, daycare centers are something that is, a, I think, a big question on everybody's mind, and so I would really be 
be guided by uh, what your health department recommendations are regarding those kinds of care facilities. Okay, so this is still kind of an open question. But so for for older Americans who are being asked maybe to help out with childcare while the schools are closed, um, in your professional opinion, would you urge caution with that? Um, that's a really personal decision for everybody. Um, very much an individual uh, decision. Um, I think that there we do have to recognize that kids, uh, when they have this, have a milder form of the illness. Um, and so um, they may have a little bit of a cough, they may have a little bit of a sore throat, but they still potentially could be infectious. So that's one thing for people to think about as they're making this decision. Um, this is something that you can mitigate by really, really good hand hygiene. You know, there's been a lot of news about that recently. Washing your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, using the alcohol-based hand rubs. And um, this is a virus, most coronaviruses are killed by bleach and other typical household disinfectants. And so if you're wiping down surfaces frequently, that's another way that you can mitigate the disease. It's really important to do good hand hygiene if you're changing diapers um, as well. So I think it's hard to make a blanket statement about that. I think people have to consider their own risk, their own, st their own state of their immune system, if they're under treatment for cancer. You want to be very, very careful about that. And then you, you want to think about travel as well. And um, has the person that you're going to be in contact with traveled to an area where there's more widespread transmission within the last 14 days? Hmm. So that may be something where you'd want to curtail in that situation um, in particular. Let's go back to the phone lines. Um, Andy is calling from Lime. Um, Andy, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, hi. I'm Andy. Um, 38 um, I'm at home sick. Um, I've got a dry hacking cough. Oh, I'm sorry to, to hear that, Andy. Yeah, I went to Walmart on Sunday. I assume I have the virus and I'm sick. People are urging me to get tested. Um, it's an expectation almost that they're placing on me. Hmm. But because I'm not 65 and because... Um, because I'm not 65, should I go get tested? And Andy, just one question before I turn this over to Dr. Elwar. Do you know if you have been in contact with any of the confirmed coronavirus cases in this area? So I don't, but I, I went to Walmart on, on Sunday, and there were a lot of Hoosiers uh, sneezing on stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't want to think about all of what they were spraying. Um, Dr. Elwar, thoughts on whether Andy should try to get a test here or, or just wait this out? Yeah, I think the best advice is always to speak with your uh, regular physician about that um, to make sure that, you know, all the bases are being covered, um, really thinking through um, your own medical course and your own medical history. Um, so I think that that would be best to consult your own doctor. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, going back to the phone lines, Eric is calling from University City. Um, Eric, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Uh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate this information. There's a lot of information out there, but I don't feel like we have a good source for ongoing information. Mm. Things like the duration period you mentioned earlier. I came late to the program. Uh, the issue that I heard uh, from the CDC about surfaces, that this can live on surfaces for maybe a week or so. And is there any good sources? Also, alternative cleaning methods, given that a lot of cleaning products are not available and sanitizing products are not available. I did hear you talk about uh, typical cleaning products like bleach and stuff mm -hmm. for surfaces maybe 
Um, I mean, if you get it, what would be the treatment that we'd use? Um, and Eric, thank you for that. A, a lot of good questions there. I guess the number one thing, uh, Dr. Elward, I'd be curious about is what do you think is the best source for up-to-the-minute details on how to respond to this disease or to try to counteract it on a personal level? Right. Well, the sources that I have bookmarked on my computer are the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, um, and then the Missouri and the Illinois Health Department websites. I think those are all really, really good, credible sources of information, um, and that's where I'm looking for the -the up-to-the-date information uh, about this disease. Okay. Well, if it's good enough for you, I feel like that's that's got to be good enough for us. So thank you for sharing your tips there. Um, one question that also came in from Facebook, Nicole writes, there is information out there that suggests you can fight off COVID-19 by gargling with salt water. Also, that if you take a deep breath, hold your breath for 10 seconds and cough or feel discomfort, it's a sign you might have the virus. It would be helpful if you could address and dispel these claims if they are true, because I see this information everywhere. In terms of this salt water, is there anything to this, this uh, thing wrapped spreading on the internet that this can help. Yeah, I have not seen anything in the scientific literature about that. We have no uh, standard therapy to treat or kill the coronavirus at this point. There are some antiviral drugs um, that are available for compassionate use that are under study um, that based on the way that the uh, antiviral drugs work and the structure of the virus, there's some theoretical basis um, for thinking that they might work. Um, and so if you're very sick and hospitalized with it, that's something that your physicians might um, work to get for you. Um, but other than that, there really are no approved uh, therapies for this. Um, so nothing in the scientific literature that would, would support that. And is it true that if you take a deep breath and hold your breath for 10 seconds, you might be able to figure out whether or not you have it? <laughs> Well, that's another thing that I've I've not seen uh, uh, widely touted among the the scientific community, but um, but I think probably what it's trying to get at are the symptoms Mm -hmm. of COVID-19. So this is a lower respiratory tract disease. Um, So it's cough and shortness of breath um, rather than a runny nose Mm. predominantly. And so that might be, you know, people are making the observation that it might be harder to hold your breath because it is a lower respiratory tract disease. Okay. So there might be some kernel of truth to to something that's been extrapolated there. But again, uh, go to the CDC or the World Health Organization for your info, not Facebook. Um, Unfortunately, we're out of time, but there is one more question that came in um, from a phone caller that I'll just... Uh, ask you real quickly before we go, and that is, is there any truth to another thing I'm also seeing circulating on social media, that this virus is not in Africa at all at this point? That, um, that is it's the, really the epicenter of this right now is in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that Africa is always very, very difficult um, to know um, because of their access to testing. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that that's one thing that we always have to be very, very careful about interpreting data is how much testing is available. Okay, that's a really great point. Uh, well, Dr. Alexis Elward of the St. Louis Children's Hospital, thank you so much for joining us today and answering all these questions. Thank you for having me. And if you're listening and you weren't able to get through, but you have questions about COVID-19 and the spread of the coronavirus, you can also leave us a voicemail and we will try to get to it on an upcoming show. You can call us at 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-NEWS. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.